know who took that? Well, you know, I thought it might have been Neil Armstrong. That was a good guess. That's a real good guess. Um, I remember the first moonwalk. That was Neil Armstrong, uh, the commander of Apollo 11. He was stepping out onto the moon's surface, you remember, and saying, one small step for man, one giant step for what? Mankind. There you go. This picture, however, was taken 18 months before um, on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1968 by one of the astronauts of Apollo 8 and William Anders the lunar uh, pilot or lunar module pilot he's the one who took the picture he along with commander Frank Borman and command module pilot James Lovell they were the first humans to travel beyond the earth into uh, the orbit around the moon and then to return back and they were the first to witness Earthrise. And it just changed everything. Um, I mean, they went off the map. They literally went off the map. Uh, not only did we, as a culture and as a civilization, journey to the moon, which previously, you know, human, humans had never ventured, we went off the map emotionally and philosophically. We, we literally went outside of ourselves and looked back. And, and there was the earth, suspended against this sea of black, and you can see the clouds and the deep blues of the oceans, um, the light blue land masses. Now, I'm in that picture. I'm in that picture. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there. I don't know where you are. You probably, if, you know, you've got to be old to be able to, you know, say you're in the picture. But um, I'm in that picture. I'm, the left side of the picture shows the east coast of North America. And you can't see me, but I'm there. Christmas Eve, 1968. I'm 16 years old. And uh, it's late morning. Most likely, I'm at Mimi's and Granddaddy's my grandparents, and I'm at their house, and there's at least one person here who was at that house probably at the same time, and uh, I'm in the picture, but I mean, I'm so small, I mean, I'm not even a pin prick on that map, I mean, you could blow that picture up as big as this church, and I'd still be a pin prick on that map, that map. Now we've got pictures from the James Webb. And we're looking back to the beginning of time almost. And all of those pinpricks are galaxies. And we are more aware now of the vastness of this universe and how itty-bitty we are. <laughs> how tiny. To put it another way, our map became really big. 
in our passage this morning. The commission is to go to all creation. Whoa! That just utterly boggles my mind. One of the books I've recommended to the deacons to read is Todd Bolshinger's Canoeing the Mountains. And Bolshinger uses the account of the Lewis Clark expedition in search of the Northwest Passage as a parable for the church today. You see, they, they started off assuming that they could get to the West Coast by river. I mean, all of the transportation systems east of the Rockies were rivers. And so the expedition, the Lewis Clark expedition, started off carrying canoes. And they got to the Rocky Mountains, and they went, uh-oh, <laughs> canoes aren't going to get us over the Rockies. And Bolsinger says, you know, that's kind of what we are in in the church right now. And we've gotten to a place, I think it's true. I mean, with everything that's happened in the last year with COVID and all of the different challenges our culture has had, and globe, globally, I mean, I, I just can't, I mean, I could go on and on and describe the different kinds of Rockies that we've run into as the church, right? From supply lines to wars to, whoops, almost knocked over the water. It's just almost mind-boggling. We've, we've gotten to this place with canoes. Now we've got the Rocky Mountains. It's a new reality. I mean, I was trained to pastor churches, learning to preach and leading Sunday school and learning to manage the church as a business, a religious business, but a business nonetheless. And guess what? I mean, the world has changed. I mean, these canoes are still important, but like the canoes of Lewis and Clark, they are not enough. And that's why in our first sermon together, I sought to pare down the mission to what is plain and simple from Micah 6. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And then our next time together, we centered on the absolute need for us to listen. To listen. To listen to the whispers of our Father, our Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And as we listen for King's grant, it's absolutely necessary that we attend to our mission. Now, as I study Scripture, I've discovered that, you know, everybody knows about the Great Commission, right? Guess what? There are five great commissions. All four Gospels have a great commission, as well as the book of Acts. And each commission is, in a sense, the Lord calling us to venture off the map, to move outside of our comfort zones into His will. And this morning, our text, in our text, the Lord tells us to do something absolutely extraordinary when you think about it. Mark 16, 15, 
In the NIV, the Lord tells His disciples, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. I can't get my brain around that. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the fullness of this commission entails, especially when I meditate upon that wonderful Earthrise picture now in these incredible images from the James Webb Telescope. But I'm sure this is something that's a lot bigger than we ever thought. And there are mountains there that we never thought we would face. Now, that Saturn V rocket was the engine that powered the Apollo 8 mission. Up to that time, it was the tallest, heaviest, most powerful rocket ever launched. However, there was this unseen power that guaranteed the return of the Apollo to Earth. You know what that unseen power was? Gravity. Between the two, there was a power to go to the moon and come back, to literally go off the map. So if you have your Bible, turn... To Mark 16, I know you have your cell phone, so you know, turn to Mark 16 in your cell phone. If you don't have a Bible app, get one. Look at verse 9. If you have an NIV translation, there'll be a note between verses 8 and 9. It says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. So I want to be up front with you about that. Scholars debate whether Mark 16, 9 through 20 is an original part of Mark's gospel. And the NIV note is accurate. The verses are included in a vast majority of the manuscripts, but some argue that it was not an original part of Mark's gospel. Most scholars argue that it's a a collection of resurrection accounts and it was appended to Mark. But in any case, the church has declared these verses canonical, a part of the inspired Word of God. And they're a wonderful summary of the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And there's a single theme that seems to stand out in these passages. We see it in Mark 16.9 with Jesus' first appearance to Mary Magdalene. It is Luke who introduces us to Mary um, in Luke 8.1-3. Now along with several other women, she helped support Jesus and the twelve financially. She was like you folk who were helping pay for those folks to, to go to Guatemala. Now in Luke 8, 2, Luke shares that Mary was one, quote, from whom seven demons had been cast out, end quote. That Jesus has a heart for those who go through tough times. Magdala was a tough place. Magdalene was not her name. It was Mary from Magdala. That's what Mary Magdalene really means. And it was known for packing fish kind of like my hometown, Hampton. Mary had some means, but she also had a disturbed past. And Mark 16, 9 reminds us that Jesus cast out her demons, and she followed Jesus. And Jesus was Mary's hope in life. And when He was crucified, she was utterly, absolutely, completely devastated. Some of you know what that's like. Jesus chose Mary Magdalene to be the very first person that He would appear to as the resurrected Lord. He instructed her to go to the disciples and tell them that He was alive. Overwhelmed through joy-filled tears, 
Mary shared with the disciples what she had experienced and Jesus was alive. And in Mark 16, 11, the disciples, heartbroken since that awful Friday, since that awful cross, since their unspeakable loss, the Scripture says what? They did not believe it. Some of them thought, oh, that's just Mary. You can kind of understand how they felt, maybe. But later, two disciples arrived with the story that they met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And though they did not recognize him at first, their eyes were opened over a meal broken uh, as Jesus broke bread. That's Luke 24. Verses 13 through 35. They rushed back to Jerusalem. They reported it to the disciples. And again, in Mark 16, verse 13, what does it say? They did not believe them. That's a problem. What you think? That's a problem. In verse 14, Jesus appears to the eleven as they're eating, and He rebukes them. And what does He rebuke them for? For their lack of faith. And their stubborn refusal to believe. The Greek word for the phrase stubborn refusal is is sclerocardian. If someone has scleroderma, it's hard skin. It's hard, right? And cardian, you know, cardiac is a heart. What was their word? Their, their problem is hard-heartedness. Hard heart. You see the pattern? Disciples have a belief problem. They're looking at this situation. This is so big, we can't believe it. So beyond our comprehension, we can't believe it. So far out of our our experience, so far out of our capacity to even take it in. We can't believe it. It's too big. It's a big problem. Jesus commands them to embark on an incredible mission. Go into all the world. Big world. Preach the gospel to all creation. Big creation. If it's going to happen, they have to believe. Now how will others believe if the disciples don't? They will have to believe in their leader, their master. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They have a calling that's utterly impossible without the supernatural intervention of their leader. They must believe in their master. They must believe in their message. They're equipped with the good news of Jesus Christ. The message is simple. 
The risen Jesus is God's answer for sin-wrecked humanity. Without Christ, we're like this car careening down the mountain at 90 miles an hour. I mean, (laughs) there's just no possible good outcome with that setting. And boy, I mean, our culture just sort of feels like that right now. I mean, think of the headlines of the past year. I don't need to remind you. COVID-19, of refugees and the de- devastation of Ukraine, of inflation that's, that's devastating those that live on the margins, of those that are dying in Africa and, and other places because they just don't have enough food. To this world, we are told, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is God's answer to the pain and suffering of the world. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the crucified, resurrected, reigning, and returning Savior. And if you repent of your sin, and if in repentant faith you turn your life over to Jesus, you'll know salvation. You'll know what it is to be whole. You will have access to His peace, even in the midst of this crazy world. You'll know his strength. And you'll have the assurance of eternity with Jesus. And the wholeness and peace and strength and hope are not based on what you can do or who you are or what you know. They are based on Jesus. The Christ. The Son of the living God. And that's good news. We need some good news. You have to believe in the master. And you have to believe in the message. And you have to believe in the mission. The Father's chosen His church to take this message to the world. Indeed, to all creation. Now, over the past three months, creation's gotten a lot bigger. And from the first chapter of Genesis, humanity was to do what we were to tend the garden, to steward creation. Well, this master, this message, this mission will change the world. It's the believing that taps into the power of God. We have a supernatural master, a supernatural message, and a supernatural mission. And there's absolutely no way we can accomplish this mission without the power of the Holy Spirit. No way. There's no way this message will suffice unless it is from the Father and is imbued with the power in the person of Jesus. No way. Mark 16, 17-18 says that the Father will work through supernatural signs to encourage those who believe. God will work through His people. But we have to believe in the team, in the ministers, in the ministry. All of God's people are ministers. You think just the preachers are going to make it to get them this message to all creation? You think that's going to happen? 
all of God's people are ministers. We need to be listening to each other. Taking encouragement from each other. Commending each other. Ordaining each other. Sending each other on mission. All of it. It's a big commission. All are empowered. It's a team. We might think only the preachers. No way! The preachers are farther away from what really is happening on ground level. You know, a preacher walks into the room and the conversation changes. You don't know that. I know that. You walk into the room, I bet maybe the conversation doesn't change. Maybe it does. I don't know. But there are places you can go and share. I haven't earned the right to do that. In his book, Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory, Bolshinger writes that in November of 1805, with the guidance and the help of Sacagawea, the Corps of Discovery arrived at the Pacific Ocean. And they were just low on supplies and they were exhausted. We need to go to the next slide, I think. Now, the Corps of Discovery arrived at the Pacific November of 1805. They're low on supplies. They were exhausted. Now, this was a military unit. But the captains, quote, allowed a decision on where to make camp to be determined by a straight democratic process. But not only did each man get to have his say on where they would stay, but York, who is Clark's slave, and Sacagawea herself each registered and each recorded one vote. Just like everybody else. Stephen Ambrose reflects, this was the first vote ever held in the Pacific Northwest. It was the first time in American history that a black slave had voted and the first time that a woman had voted. See, it's got to be all of us. I mean, that's the only way a cosmic ministry can take place. We are all called to reproduce disciples and reproduce leaders in churches who will reproduce disciples and leaders in churches. And that's how God is going to change Virginia Beach, Virginia, the United States, and the world. It requires a supernatural Savior. But guess what? We have one. We got one. Mark 16, 19 shares that Jesus was, quote, taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God is the place of power, the place of authority. Mark 16 concludes, then the disciples went out and they preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. This supernatural commission requires a supernatural God 
to work through His church, His disciples. Want to be that church? Sounds like fun to me. Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 speaks of Jesus as the great high priest sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he says, the author of Hebrews writes, but when his priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then he continues in verses 21 through 25. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Day's approaching. We have a cosmic command that takes us off the map. We can only follow God if we rely on the Lord solely for direction, for power, and for wisdom. And that means we must pray. Got to pray. But we draw near to God, quote, with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. You remember that was their problem, right? Mary came back with that extraordinary word, and they did not believe. We've got to believe. It's kind of simple. We have a supernatural master, a supernatural message, a supernatural ministry with other supernatural ministers. Didn't think of yourself as a supernatural minister, did you? And we have a supernatural mission. Days approaching. Let's draw near to God. Let's fall on our knees. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because our God is faithful. And let us get up and get on with our supernatural mission. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. James Webb has made creation mighty big. I mean, we're so small, but but we serve a God who is Lord of this big universe and he commands and he calls his servants who will rely upon him who will believe in him and who will do what he says it is that simple it's the great supernatural commission of the gospel of mark